Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. Go to the book of Numbers as tonight we do the, the part two on the laws of possessing. And remember that your Christianity is not going to do you very much good if you are a lazy Christian. If you are a lazy Christian, meaning you don't read your Bible, you don't search for God, seek God, you don't educate yourself, you don't learn about the ways of God, the mysteries of God, the principles of God, you don't learn how God does things, you don't figure out how things work in God's kingdom, you simply live your life going to church and listening to messages, and then you go home and, and then watch TV and just live your life, and, and you're not really passionately in love with Jesus. You're not passionately in love with the Word. It's not really an intricate part of your DNA culture of your home, family, or life, and so you're going to have a lot of issues as a Christian. You're going to have a lot of defeats, a lot of battles, a lot of demonic activity is going to be in your home and if you don't know how to tell if you have demons in your house, these are the three simple ways to tell. One, you have nightmares on a regular basis. That is the presence of demons in your home. Two, you have anxiety attacks. There's a spirit of depression in your home, and a lot of strife and contention goes on in the home. If you have those things going on, then you can be sure that you have demons in your home actually there. And so you need to do a house cleansing and I would advise to call some of the elders of the church, have them bring oil and cleanse everything, then go through all the objects you have that demons could attach themselves to. Any kind of R-rated movies, any kind of things where there's violence, murder, uh, any kind of violent acts against women or children or murdering of any kind, vicious, violent things, those will attract demons and they will attach themselves to those things because that is you giving them a right to be in your house because of the uh, nature of Satan in those things. So Satan, uh, it, Satan uh, has a legal right to be present wherever he has been invited. And so when you invite him, uh, if you have witchcraft books, uh, horoscopes, things of that nature, uh, Ouija boards, Anything of that nature, any, any movies of witchcraft and things of that nature, you're going to have demons in your home. You're going to have bad sleep. You're going to have anxiety. You will be on medication eventually because that never gets better. You've got to drive the demons out of the house. You've got to get a team of people to go in there and drive them out of the house. You've got to anoint the whole house. You've got to put the oil on the doors, on the windows, on the bathrooms, and everything. You've got to clean out the whole house. Or you can live with demons for the rest of your life and just be invaded every day of your life and just be miserable. Praise the Lord. It's your choice. Uh, you do have free will if you want to. Uh, I suggest you not have it, but if you want to, that's up to you. So we're reading Numbers 13, and uh, verse 30 through 33, or actually beginning in verse 29, um, the Amalekites dwell in the land and uh, of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, and by the coast of the Jordan, and Caleb still the people, 
before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they brought up an evil report of, of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So, uh, as we gave you seven keys on how to get your inheritance, we're going to give you the last seven. And uh, this is a very powerful one, because if you don't know who you are, if you actually don't know what your identity is, you're not going to get anything. Because your identity determines your possessions. If you feel that you are truly royalty, how many of you think you're royalty? Look at somebody and say, I think I'm royalty. Now, very basic, but why are you royalty? Because you have been adopted. So God adopts everybody. Nobody's his natural born child except Jesus. You're not Jesus. You're adopted by God, and you come into his family, and then he gives you his name, he gives you his righteousness, he gives you everything, and his identity becomes your identity, and then you come from that identity, you begin to change the world. But if you think bad of yourself, if you believe you're a worthless, untalented, ungifted person, you are not going to do great things for God because your identity is your curse. So you have got to break the curse of who you think you are. Because if you don't do that, if you are still that sinner in the past, that drunk, that alcoholic, that drug addict, that intellectual, that shy person, that broken person, that bound up person, that lazy person, that whatever things you're still doing. Remember, if you give power to your behavior, then God cannot change your behavior. You have to give power to Jesus's victory over your present behavior. And if you give him power over your present behavior, he then has power to change your present behavior. He won't leave you the way you are because you're his adopted son or daughter. As an adopted son or daughter, you have rights. In natural court, for example, if you adopt a child in, in court, uh, you cannot denounce them in, in natural court. You can denounce your natural children. Like you can say, I'm not leaving anything to my natural biological children. I'm leaving nothing to them. But you can't do that to an adopted child. If you go to court and adopt somebody, they're getting their stuff. Praise the Lord. They don't have to take it if they don't want it, but it's there for the taking. And that's how it is with you. You're adopted, so your identity has changed. So you have a new identity, new fingerprints in heaven, positionally. Yeah. 
Now you have got to bring it out of there and find out who you really are. I mean, who are you? What amazing person are you? Say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I I still got the same problems I've always had. There you go. So this is not about that. This is about these guys said these words. We are like grasshoppers in our eyes. See, if you think you're like normal, average, powerless, and not supernatural, you're really not going to get anything from heaven. You need to say, I am a child of God. I am born again. I have been adopted and given an inheritance, and I'm claiming my stuff. Praise the Lord. Tell the person next to you these words. I don't know about you. I'm claiming my stuff. Give me all your money. Pay off my house. Pay off my car and pay off my children. <laughs> or you can live your life cussing yourself out all the time and calling yourself names and saying, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm such an idiot. I'm such a moron. Oh, my God. Why does God put up with me? Why do you put up with me? Why does anybody put up with me? Oh, my gosh. I even hate myself. Oh, you can do that. But remember, remember, your beliefs, your beliefs determine your father. So if those are your beliefs, then you're saying Satan is still my daddy. So the inheritance that I'm getting is the one Satan can give me. Was that too difficult or complicated? Did you hear what I said? So whoever you call daddy, and the way you can tell who you're calling daddy is who you are imitating. Praise God. If you imitate the devil, talk like him, act like him, walk like him, and think like him, he's your daddy. And you're going to get the inheritance he has for you. But if you imitate your heavenly father, and you say, this is it, I'm switching dads today. How many of you are switching dads today? Well, well, I, 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 I got saved. That doesn't mean you switch dads. Just because you got saved doesn't mean you switch dads. You can still be just as worldly. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. If you want your stuff, you need to get your act together about you. You need to start liking yourself before there's anything to like. What did you say? <laughs> this is called activating what belongs to you by faith, by agreeing with what God thinks about you. I remember getting saved at 17, and I started preaching to myself in the mirror. I was preaching so early and ministering so early, and I was so full of 
fear and terror because I didn't, I said to God, I don't know why you picked me to do this, but I'm going to ruin people's lives. I shouldn't be doing this. I don't know anything. I don't even like myself. And the Lord said, preach to yourself. Yes, you're a mighty man of God. You're a great man of God. You're going to serve the Lord. You're going to do great things for God. You're going to win the loss. You're going to be full of love. You're going to overcome all sin. You ain't touching no women. You ain't touching no women. You ain't. I mean, <laughs> just preach to myself. You ain't touching no women. Seventeen years old, I started preaching that to myself, and I didn't get married till I was twenty-six years old, and I did not touch any woman till my wedding night. And on that night, I just said to my wife, "Run for your life!" Turn to somebody and say, "Run for your life!" So, if you're sitting at home and doing nothing, the reason you're doing nothing is because you think you're nothing. People who know who they are, they do great exploits for God. Now, either you are great, amazing, and fabulous, or you're what your ex-husband said you were. Are you what your mother said you were? Are your daddy said you were? Are all the boyfriends or girlfriends you've ever had and all the naysayers and all the failures and all the things you've ever done wrong? You're all that. Or let man be a liar and let God be true. Come on. Come on, everybody. Say, oh my gosh, praise God. Get in that mirror tonight. Say, I got something to talk to you about. You are not going to be like that. Say, I will not be a witch after today. I will not be other words that rhyme after today. I will not be a lazy, slothful, gluttonous man after today. I will not smell and stink and, and, and fill the house with aromas from the pits of hell. I will be a clean man. I will go and buy underwear today. I will buy a pair for every day of the year. Hallelujah. Turn to somebody and say, dear God. That would be a miracle. <laughs> so your identity is everything if you're going to get your stuff. Because if you don't like yourself, why do you think God's going to give you anything amazing? Praise the Lord. There's two things you have to be convinced about. Number one, that without God, you truly are nothing. And that with God, you have unlimited potential and possibilities. Praise the Lord. Everybody lift your hands and say, I have unlimited potential and possibilities. 
Doesn't matter what I did as a sinner. And it doesn't matter what I've done as a Christian sinner. It just matters what I'm going to do from now on. Everybody say to your neighbor, hey, get on your horse and start riding. Come on, tell everybody, get on your horse and start riding into your destiny. Praise God. Get off the donkey and get off that pig. Praise God. You are a man of God, a woman of God, and you shouldn't be driving around on a pig. Because that pig is reminding you of what you're really connected to. But your identity is the most healing, powerful thing. Jesus said of himself amazing things. I am that I am. And everybody fell back. He said, I'm the light of the world. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the door. I'm the Savior. I'm Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm Emmanuel. I'm Counselor, Prince of Peace, and Mighty God. Woo! I'm the Ancient of Days. Woo! I mean, he just, oh, man, he just knew who he was, and that's how he talked. With no pride, just have been persuaded. Some of you are not yet persuaded of the great person that's inside you. You are persuaded of the sinner that's in you. So you will live like a sinner, eating ashes, when you could be dining at the table of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Turn around to the person behind you and say, I need your wallet and your purse and anything else you got. All right, number nine. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto the children's children, to such as, listen to this, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to them. So here's number nine. If you're going to get your stuff, you have to develop your remembering skills. This is why. Only what you remember has the power to keep changing you. If you go to church without notes, if you don't read your Bible and, and get revelation, because you understand that you're a basket case, does everybody understand that? That everybody here is a sinner and that you all need help? Starting here and all there, you all need help. None of you are Jesus walking around. You need help. So what do you need to do is remember what God tells you when he tells you something. Because if you hear sermon after sermon after sermon, and let's say you come to church once a week, that's 52 sermons. Right? 
And who can tell me 52 sermons? Who, who in here can tell me the 52 sermons of last year? No. So in every sermon you hear, God will tell you one or two things. And you'll say, that's Rhema, that's for me, that's for me to remember. You write it down, and then you memorize it. So that at the end of the year, you've got a couple of hundred things that God actually told you. And now, if you will obey those things that he told you, you will become the person that he wants you to be. Because with everything you remember that God tells you, 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 you uh, withdraw something from your inheritance account. Every revelation God speaks to you is like a key. And you use that key to unlock the bank where your inheritance is at. Revelation unlocks your inheritance. So here I am preaching to you, and a lot of you are, oh, man, oh, wow, ooh, that's good. Mm, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, oh. But you're not going to remember it past this service. And what is that called? Receiving the grace of God in vain. You are cheerful hearers, but you are not faithful doers. So if you're not going to take notes, you're already telling God that you're expecting him to say nothing worth remembering. And this is how people go to church. Or do you have a photographic memory that we are not aware of? Because that would be different. Oh, no, brother, I, mean, I remember everything I hear since I was a child. Anything. Name a day. I'll tell you everything that happened all over the world. Okay, you don't have to take notes. <laughs> but for the rest of you normal humans... God is going to give you answers to your problems. You must record those in your memory. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I have the first notebook that I ever wrote where of the things God told me the first time, the first year I got saved and all the rest of them. The very first thing God ever told me the very first thing he ever told me is, and this is the way he said it. He said, Ivan, can I trust you? I said, nope. You cannot trust me. He said, this then will be your journey to become a person I can trust. So what has God ever told you? You've been a Christian for 10 years. What has he ever told you? 20 years. What has he told you in 20 years that you can remember? Because if you, after 20 years of having God talk to you, because isn't this God talking to you right now? This is God talking to you. You're going to get in the car and hear another sermon by another preacher talking to you. You're going to listen to songs and singing talking to you. You're going to, you know... Who knows what you're going to do? Oh, you're going to get around each other and everybody's going to be talking about God. So things are coming at you. They go in one ear and out the other ear. Here is the evidence that a person is not hearing what God is saying to them. They never 
change. Change is the only sign of God's abiding presence in someone's life. The only way that we know that you're actually walking with God is you're not miserable two weeks in a row. You're not mean two months in a row. You're only mean for one month. Then God speaks to you, delivers you, and you're no longer mean. But if you're mean for 10 years, if you've been cussing your husband out for 15 years, you are backslidden. And if your wife has begged you and prayed and asked for you to at least clean up the restroom after you take a shower or whatever, and the towels are still there and you won't do it after years and years and years and years, you are a backslidden human being. Didn't feel the love on that, so I'm going to go over here and encourage myself. Praise God, Ivan, that was amazing. My gosh, brother, glory to Jesus. You're back to the bathrooms and the towel and all the whiskers. So, remembering habits. You've got to create habits of remembering, taking notes, putting it in your phone, and then committing it to memory. Six things a month is not a lot. Six lines of something is not a lot. But after a year, you have 52 things that you can quote that God has spoken to you for life. Because remember, anything God says lasts as long as God does. Look at someone and say, wow, that was a hot enchilada that flew right by me right there. Praise God, that thing had some hot sauce on it. Anything God says lasts as long as God does. So you're, if you don't do this, then you have the basic attitude, I'm good enough as I am, and I'm pretty fabulous just the way I am. I don't really need a lot of improvement anymore. I've been in church 40 years. Praise the Lord. I would ask your wife about that. I would ask your husband about that. And I would ask your children about that. If that's their testimony, then congratulations. You obviously have been paying attention to something. But if they think you're a rotten egg, praise the Lord. If your wife is praying for you to pass away, this is not a good sign. Praise the Lord. If you hear her at night, oh, Father, would you take him, please? Let him go in his sleep. No pain, no misery. Just take him, Father. Let him slowly go. Let him rock. He's, he's done in this world. He's not going to do anything or accomplish anything. I just want to pray for him, Father. He's so unhappy here. He's so miserable, Father. Would you please just take him? And after they pray that for a few months, their prayers change. Kill him now in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Or I'm jumping out of the window. So you got a different kind of prayer going on. So if you're not remembering, if you're not remembering what God tells you, why would he tell you anything else? Is he just going to waste his time for 20 years telling you things? If you can't remember the first thing he told you, He's not going to tell you a second thing to forget. 
Praise the Lord. You're not, you're, you're miserable for a reason. And the reason you're miserable, if you are, is because you won't listen and obey what the Lord is telling you to change. It's as simple as that. Because all misery, all your misery has an expiration date if you will walk with the Lord. Whatever is making you unhappy right now, that thing has an expiration date. God has assigned it a death and assigned a resurrection to it. Death to that and resurrection to him in that area. Praise the Lord. Give someone a high five and say, that's fabulous. Praise the Lord. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of, of the Lord dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Here is number 10. If you're going to get your stuff, everybody say, I want my inheritance and I want my blessings. You're going to have to have a very special relationship with your Bible. Number one, find a Bible that you can understand when you read it. Number two, get a Bible if you don't have one. Praise the Lord. Number three, study the Bible and make it your lifelong quest to master your sword. Your Bible is your sword. It is your weapon of self-defense against all the enemies out there. It is also your medicine. It is also your light. It is also your water of refreshing. It is also the fire of passion. It is also the hammer to destroy the strongholds of Satan. It is also the wind of the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord is the mind of God, the will of God, the heart of God, the spirit of God, the wisdom of God, and the power of God. The word of the Lord has abilities and powers that nothing else in this universe has. If you do not have a relationship with your Bible that is a daily relationship, you will starve to death because the Bible is your milk, your bread, and your meat. If you're a baby, it is milk. If you are a middle-aged Christian in the spirit, it is your bread. And if you're a father or a mother in the Lord, it is your meat. You will need all three of them throughout your journey here on earth. And the word of the Lord is the only thing you have that can get lost people saved. It is the solutions of God for the problems of life. It is the cure for all your inner diseases of your cancerous soul. It is the cure for the iniquity and DNA you got from your parents and great-grandparents and all the wicked sins that your insides want you to commit. It is the cure when you apply it, it burns them out and heals it. If you do not have a relationship with the Word of God, then you are going to dry up, leave church, and go find something that is immediately, tangibly, pleasurable.
You see what I'm saying? So if you're in here and you're kind of bored and the Bible's boring and God is boring and everything's boring after two years of being bored, you're going to find something else. You're going to say, man, I, I need a reefer. So I'm going to introduce that into my walk with God. It helps me a lot. I had a person call me after a service. They said, man, that was the greatest service I've ever been in. I said, really? Who are you? And how did you get my number? <laughs> they said, but I'm smoking a reefer right now, and I got seven revelations on every point you made, and I'm wondering if I could just share them with you. I said, did you say you're smoking a reefer right now? Yeah. I said, is that okay with you? Oh, yeah, God doesn't care about that. I said, okay. So what happens is, when you're not in the Word, you can be deceived by Satan. When you don't know the Bible, he can deceive you about the Bible. He can deceive you about God. He can deceive you about heaven and hell. He can deceive you about healing, all the blessings of God, and especially about praying in the Holy Ghost. He can lie to you about anything because you can find a preacher that is preaching all the lies of Satan are being preached by some preacher. Not all in one person, but individuals are all preaching what the Bible calls doctrines of demons. So if you don't have a relationship with the Bible, and so there it is. Now, how do you know you have one? You can't go to sleep without reading it. You can't wake up without reading it. You have to read it every day. You sing the Bible regularly. You pray over the Bible before you read it, and it comes to life, and it unlocks for you. You're constantly getting encouragement from it, and it's building you up. You're never discouraged because when you are, God gives you a word from the Scripture. It's how you help your children. It's how you help your wife and your husband. You give them the word. And the revelation word with the breath of the Holy Spirit on it begins to change everything. You're not going to get your inheritance without the word. The word of God is how you're going to get everything that belongs to you. Every poverty-destroying blessing is coming through the Word of God. I suggest you get on your knees, open the Bible, put your face in it, and pray in the Holy Ghost over it every time before you read it, if you can. Pray over it. Journal the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Meditate on the Bible. And then share the Bible with people of like precious faith. Find comrades, find friends, find uh, peers, find people that know more than you to teach you, find people that know equally as you to fellowship about it, and find people that know less than you so you can teach them what God has taught you. This is the cycle of the Word. And this keeps you spiritually healthy. Because if you don't read the Bible, then you're going to hear people say it's okay to do this and it's okay to do that. And because you're lazy, you're just going to say, oh, oh well, well, praise the Lord. If a preacher said it, it must be right. 
So what's the first principle in the book of Acts? When they heard the word preached, they went and searched the scriptures to see if the things they were being told were right. You are a defenseless Christian against Satan with just your own mind, your own words. You have no power. The power you have is the word of God in your mouth. Jesus used it. Praise the Lord. I use it constantly. I've gotten out of more scrapes by just starting to quote the Bible. Right in the middle of it. All kinds of scrapes. Every imaginable thing. Just oh, I just start quoting the scripture. Blah, 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 and in a matter of seconds, I can feel the strength rising up in me and I'm, and I'm through it. Praise God. Because we all have iniquity. Iniquity is tendencies of our flesh. And you have to kill those completely. I come from a background of crazy people. So I have urges and impulses of crazy people. So I kill those with the word of God. I don't have them now, but when I first got saved, oh my gosh, so many times. I mean, I was driving in a truck with delivering, uh, delivering some windows, some stained glass windows with this person, and he was driving, and he... Uh, started. He said something about, about my mother. And we're going through a four-stop light thing. And this leg automatically rose up like this and drove through the brake. He went flying, and then all the doors and all that began to break. I ran around. I opened the door, and I grabbed him and started dragging him, and I threw him up against the thing. This is a born-again Christian doing this. And I went to hit him, and the Holy Ghost told me, if you hit him, your ministry is dead. I said, okay. Sorry, Lord. <laughs> and he peed in his pants right there in front of me. Because I had lost my mind. I was only 18 years old. But these things have to be killed. And thank God, in 50 years, I have never hurt anybody. Never hit him, never nothing. Well, that's not true. I did knock out one person, but, but the, the wife sent me to go get him out of the bar and gave me permission, you know. And so he was a friend of mine, and he was drunk, and I said, we need to go now, and your wife wants you to come, and all your five children. And he was drunk, so he slapped me. And I, I go like that. I said, man, please don't do that again. I'm going to have to take you out in a different way. Pam, he slapped me again, and then I <laughs> threw him over. Took him home. No violence in my spirit at all. No anger or rage. Just a little... <clears throat> if you know how to do it, it's, it's a, it's a, there's no pain. You just... <clears throat> Especially if you're, if you're drunk. But that's the only time, but there was no violence or rage, and I'm not proud of it, but I'm just saying, you know, we all have our little journeys. It's the Bible that's going to get you out of the pits that Satan will lead you to. Praise the Lord. Look at someone around you and say, you're just looking more like a Christian all of a sudden. <laughs> Go to 11, which is found in Philippians 3, 8 through 14. And this is, Paul said these words. 
I count everything in life, all the treasures, all the riches, I count everything as trash compared to knowing God. If you are going to get stuff, then you've got to learn the secrets of how to have fellowship and communion with an invisible God that you cannot tangibly put your hands on. If God does not become tangible to you where you can touch him, see him, hear him, taste him, smell him, sense him, perceive him, and know him, you're not going to do very well as a Christian. You're going to have a very bumpy road. What makes your inheritance become part of you is your relationship with God. Because listen to how it works. The closer you get to it, whoever you know intimately, all their stuff becomes yours. The Bible even says that when two people mingle physically, they become one flesh. So that means that every person you've been with in your life, unless you've had it broken off, all their demons have authority to attack you and to torture you and to be with you all the time. That's why you're only supposed to marry one person and not have relationships with 30 or 40. Because all their demonic influence and demons have access to you now because you have become one flesh with them. This is why you never feel fulfilled and satisfied because you are like the demoniac being ripped and torn by all kinds of things inside of you, clashing and fighting. You can get delivered from that. You can get deliverance from that. You can have it all broken off. But if you don't fellowship with God and talk to God and have conversations with him all day, every day, then you're not going to have an inheritance because your inheritance is, number one, your relationship with God. He's going to get his stuff and give it to you. Just by talking with him. He'll hand you things. He said, well, we had a really good conversation uh, this morning, Lord. Praise God. Yes, did you notice I gave you three new things? I said, yeah, I was really, I mean, I can feel them. I can sense them. I couldn't do that before. Now I'm doing it. That was amazing. Oh, my gosh, glory to God. You get to the point where you don't stop talking to him. And it can get embarrassing if you're driving. And <laughs> My kids always catch me, Pop, who are you talking to? You know, I said, well, it's not little green people <laughs> talking to God. So you have this intimate fellowship. Well, from that comes peace, love, joy. All that God is comes upon you. So it's a very powerful tool is your relationship with God. If you're not going to have one, you'll be a poor Christian and Satan will be able to steal from you. So look at someone right now and say, we need to get to know the Lord. Get on your knees and pray every day. Talk to Jesus every day. Tell him how amazing he is. Praise him, worship him, glorify him, but have intimate conversations with him about all issues of your life. And whatever you do, please tell God the truth. Don't tell him what you think he wants to hear. No, no, no. You say, God, tell God the truth. Lord. I hate this woman. Do you hear me? I hate her. I wish she'd just die. 
That's how I feel right now. I'm coming to you for help. Matter of fact, I hate all of them. <laughs> You're going to have to deliver me because I'm not leaving here until this is out of me. That's how you talk to God. Say, God, I have all these desires and urges, and they're overwhelming, and I'm afraid I'm going to go ahead and give in unless you give me. So I'm not moving from the spot until you burn them out of me and give me the power. This is how you talk to him. God, I'm so afraid. I have fears. I haven't told anybody, but I'm really scared. I mean, I'm losing sleep. I'm not a, I don't have peace about this. I'm going to stay here until this is resolved. It's a very powerful thing, and if you don't do this, you don't want to be one of those that God says, hey, I never knew you. You never even talked with me. You didn't treat me like your father. You didn't come to me like I was your dad. You treated me like a computer. You treated me like I was a cafeteria. You're just punching in recipes. I'm a person. I'm the most person person there is. Because I'm perfected person. We are all dysfunctional people, but God is not. He's perfect love, perfect wisdom, perfect patience, perfect understanding. He's the perfection of humanity. And we are created in his image to have his image and to get his image by fellowship or to be interwoven through osmosis of fellowship, he leaves pieces of himself in us. Praise the Lord. So stretch your arms up and wrap them around God and say, Lord, I'm hugging you and I'm asking you to hug me and squeeze the devil out of me and fill me with the Holy Ghost and power. That's how you got to talk to him. I don't have time to go into death. I could honestly teach an hour or two on each thing, but I'm just giving you the general doors, and then you've got to go and really investigate all this stuff. Praise the Lord. All right, give someone a high five and say, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Look at number 12. We're almost done, and you can leave at any time if you want, but that would be dumb. But anyway, you, you, can, you can do it if you want. Jude, verse 20, praying in the Holy Ghost and building yourself up. Praying in the Holy Ghost is one of the most powerful tools to get your inheritance to show up. Literally, I mean, just praying like that in the Holy Spirit. And don't get religious on me and say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you prayed in tongues in front of everybody. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, you didn't even bring an interpretation. That's so out of order. Really? Let's talk about it. Do you watch TV? Do they ever speak in foreign languages? And do you leave the room? Oh, my gosh, they just spoke in German. I can't believe it. They didn't bring an interpretation. Oh, so this room is different because it's called church. So you can't hear anybody go, Rebalde, Bushkalab. 
What if I just, uh, ¿cómo están hermanos? Todos también vamos a predicar la palabra del Señor porque el Señor es maravilloso y grande y exaltado. Gloria a su nombre maravillosa. So what are you going to do if I preach in Spanish? Hmm? Look at somebody around you and say, what the heck is going on over here? Give somebody a high five and say, Bolginia, parte vedize, bon trufilie, parte veninitsa, borde voce. Go ahead, tell them. You say, wow, don't be so religious. I'm not really hurting you. It's just a religious mind. It's not like the end of the world. But you, if you're legalistic, remember that religion chokes on freedom. Religious people can't laugh at the straining of a gnat. Praying in the Holy Ghost has over 100 benefits. 100 benefits of praying in the Holy Ghost. My suggestion to you is to do it all day. Softly, under your breath, so you don't lose your voice. <laughs> What I don't suggest you do is walk around all over town and in front of everybody. <laughs> This will freak everybody out and think you're insane and have demons from hell. And whatever you do, don't go around shaking and all that stuff. I mean, they will think you are, you need to be in an insane asylum. Remember things about God. One, anything God does is beautiful. And it's beautiful to anyone. I preach in denominational churches, Baptist churches. I preach in all kinds of churches. They love me. And I do what I do here. And they weep and cry. Because it's beautiful. I don't go over there and grab them and say, Come on! <laughs> I don't slap them in the face or do any of that ridiculous stuff. I never even raise my voice. Because the beauty of the Lord opens a tender soul touches it, and he heals it. Be careful of the prejudices you have picked up along your religious life. Praise the Lord. Look at somebody behind you, give them a five, and say, I will take $50. No longer the 100. I just need 50. Make it through this service. Let's go to the next one, found in Luke 9, 61 and 62, and here's what it says. When you put your hand on the plow, don't look back. If you're going to get all that belongs to you, you need to put your hand to the plow and say, I'm never taking it off this plow, and I'm never looking back or going back. The motto is never quit. 
no matter how hard the plowing gets. You just keep on plowing. Some years you will only make one inch of progress. Some years you'll make miles. Don't let the years you make miles of progress make you stumble over the one inch that you made the next year. Just keep going. Tell the Lord, no matter what happens, Lord, I'm going to keep plowing. That person died. That person sinned. That person fell. That person did. That left me. That left me. They just, they forsook me. They denied. They, I'm just plowing. I'm just keeping my eyes on Jesus, and I'm just plowing. But no matter what happens, God, I'm not quitting. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The, the cross before me. The world behind me, I have decided to follow Jesus. Praise the Lord. You see, quitting is the ultimate tragedy. Because once you quit, God can no longer do anything. Keep going. Don't give up on your marriage. Your husband may never change. Your wife may never change. But your wife's behavior or your husband's behavior is not supposed to be the compass of your behavior. Jesus is the joy of your life, not your wife and not your husband. He's the center of your life. And out of that center, you overflow on the people you love. But if you're looking for your husband to make you happy, you are practicing slow suicide. As amazing as your husband may think he is, and as amazing as your wife may think she is, or as horrible as they think they are, you should not put your emotional world in their hands. You should say, hey, you're having a real hard time this year, or the last 10 years. You're having, but I just want you to know that I'm going to love you unconditionally. I will never leave you or forsake you. You don't even have to change. I am fully satisfied because Jesus is enough. And if he's not enough, you've got a problem. You're going to want to get rid of somebody. And if you won't get rid of them, you'll shut them off. And disconnect from them, even though you live in the same house, you will be strangers. Praise the Lord. Sure got silent over here in Alaska. The silence of the lambs. <laughs> Tell someone next to you. Just look at them and say, man, I'm telling you, this is too much for a Wednesday night. <laughs> Never look back because everything back there is death. Look ahead. Don't quit. Put your hand to the plow. And keep this in your mind. Make sure that every day you produce something divine. Every day. One day, the Lord woke me up at three in the morning, many, many years ago. And I said, Lord, why are you waking me up at three in the morning? I'm talking to you when I'm awake. Is it really that important? 
He said, if I wake you up at three in the morning, I have something divine to tell you. And I said, well, I'm not going to be able to go back to sleep. He said, good. Produce something divine. Praise the Lord. And that was a revelation because I travel every week. So I have lots of time and I have to make sure that I use that time to produce something divine. And when you do that, then your plow is moving over the ground a lot faster. It's breaking stuff up because you're not wasting your life. You're actually plowing in the right field. The last point. Look at somebody and groan and say, no, no, don't quit. Second Corinthians 9, 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. And this is talking about generosity, and this is the, the 14th and the last point. And let me say it like this to you, that the best way to get is to give. And the best way to give is to give in order to have, in order to give. You don't want to give to get and to keep. That's called greed. You want to give in order to have, in order to give. We are Christians. We are not greedy money mongers. We want money to bless people with. Our goal is not to be the richest people in the world when we die. Our goal, now listen to my words, the goal of a Christian with the heart of God is to die having given away more than he or she kept. That is the goal. Give away more than you keep. Because if you're still in the, I'm going to keep everything safe, 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 and everybody around you is perishing and you could actually help people, but you're keeping everything, why would God send money to you? If he knows you're just going to keep it, put it in the bank and leave it there. Why, why won't he? Why? He'd rather send it to people who are going to say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Because that is the richest person in the world. The richest person is the person who needs nothing. They have everything. They can afford to give away whatever God gives them. Praise the Lord. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com. And may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.